praise the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. How many of you know that when you're in the presence of God, fully, fully present in the moment when you are in His presence, when you're fully present in the moment of God, there is, you, ought, you, know, you know this, there are, it's, there's a limitless life that's waiting for you. In fact, I find it like this sometimes, that when I'm fully present in the presence of God, I find that He, he wants to reveal Himself to me in ways that, that are so magnificent that sometimes I just get overwhelmed with how amazingly good He is. I've never had an encounter with God where even with his discipline that he brings to me, and sometimes he corrects me, and he says, John, you're following a course of action here in your thinking or in your way that you're going here, and it's, it's not right. You need to correct this. And even in his correction, there is so much joy in me. There is so much peace in me because it confirms to me that I am truly engaged with my Heavenly Father who's talking to me and correcting me. And He's doing it for my best interest and for the best that, that uh, He has for my life. Wow. That's amazing. Unfortunately, there are many people that uh, go to church every Sunday. There are many people that are, I want to call them... Um, globalist Christians. In other words, globally speaking, universally speaking, they call themselves Christians. But actually, what they know about God is only what they know about Him. They don't know Him. And very often, some of the people that know a lot about God are the most dangerous people because they choose not to know Him, but to know about Him. So they can give you many philosophies and many arguments, but they don't actually carry any power with them. But they have a persuasiveness in the, with words that Bible says sometimes even the elect of God can be deceived because it's coming through forces that are behind the people. Hallelujah. So... Uh, I just want to read to you. I didn't give it, send it to you on my message, but, but this message, this uh, verse is in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. So I'm, I'm trusting that today will be my last day in these series of messages that I didn't get finished the other day. 
And uh, so, he, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Who can this be? I mean, these are his disciples. These are not just people that are meeting him on the side of the mountain listening to him preach. These are guys that are traveling with him all the time and then he calms the sea and the waves and says, who can this be? These are the same guys that when Jesus called them into the ministry, well, some of them anyway, that he said, go and cast your net on the other side and they brought huge, huge uh, loads of fish in. Right? Same guys. Who can this be? Some translation says, what manner of man is this? I mean, what manner of creature is this that can command all of the elements of the world just by speaking to them? What manner of being is this? What kind of man is this? And uh, it's quite amazing to me that people can walk with God. They can even be around God. They can even do lots of things with Him. And then when something extraordinary happens and, and a great miracle happens and there's an extraordinary move of God, then they turn around and say, how can this be? You know, and oftentimes it's, uh, it, 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 by necessity, it's focused on a leader because God chooses to work through men, through people. And, uh, but there's always this question, what kind, what kind of man is this? What manner of man is this? What manner of creature is this that has got so much power that all of the elements obey him? It's, it's interesting to me, and I just want, I'm not going to spend too much on this, but it's interesting to me that they were sent on assignment together and a great chaos arose around them. So I'm using the word chaos on purpose because when wind comes and it's that strong and waves are that big, then, it, then chaos arrives because there's no calms. You can't, sometimes those waves are so high you can't see over them. You're just in a trough and you, you feel like you're nowhere. And then you're on top and you can see, yeah, this is a big storm. And then, you know what I'm saying? Chaos arrives around. And so the storm brings chaos and Jesus is asleep in the chaos. Wow. Why? Because Jesus knew who he was in God. And he knew that there was no, nothing in the universe that was greater than his union with God. There was nothing in the universe that was greater than his union with God. One day, I mean, I have a, uh, there's a person that I know is very, very smart, very smart. Intellectually smart, very deep and thoughtful, has many degrees. And uh, from when he was in high school, people used to talk about 
he was always the smartest guy in the room, always the smartest man in the room. And so because there were many things that I did with him over many years, uh, I always defaulted to the fact that he was the smartest man in the room. And so, he, you know, his ideas and the things that he went about, he's the smartest man in the room. And one day, I repeated that phrase to someone. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as if he was standing right next to me. He said, John, that's a lie that you have believed. It's not true. He's not the smartest man in the room. Whoever has the Holy Spirit working through him is the smartest man in the room. It doesn't matter how many arguments, how much intellect, how many facts, how many things people bring to you, how much educational, um, knowledge-based, researched, you know, people can say things like, well, you know, when I was in my MBA program, I learned this and, and you know, production schedules must look like this and so... And the Holy Spirit may, if you're in production or manufacturing, the Holy Spirit may say to you, change your production Milan and do it like this. And, and you go back to the theory and the theory says you should never do that. In that moment, you must decide whether the smart men are the right men or whether the Holy Spirit is the right knowledge. Because what manner of man will you become if you just do what, what the facts say or what the learning says? It's the Holy Spirit's leading that is always smart, the smartest thing to do in your life. Always. Come on, you're all very quiet this morning. And if I quit the message right here, right now, this should be enough for you to take something home and say, I'm the smartest man in the room wherever I go. I'm the smartest woman in the room wherever I go. I'm the smartest parent wherever I need parenting. Or I need to parent, I should say. I'm the smartest parent. Well, YouTube says this and, you know, this book from this lady and this psychologist that says do it like this. Do what the Holy Spirit says. Do what the Bible says. And then you can say I'm the smartest parent around. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. I have been... Uh, I've really been focused by the Holy Spirit to uh, cause us to understand what's happening in the world around us is that we must be awake about what's happening in the world around us. And that if we are asleep and we're only focused on our day-to-day -day living, then we are in a, at a very entry-level position with God. So you remember the revelation that the Lord gave me and it has become part of our, our whole ministry. You, you can touch people and then you can teach people. And you can't train people if they are not taught. Right? But it's only in the extent of how they are trained to do what they need to do that divine productivity can kick in. 
And it's only when divine productivity becomes evident and becomes an ongoing process in your life that covenant can be established. Where God is always in covenant with you, but He will ask you to be in covenant with Him. And so, it is essential for us that we don't just touch and we don't just integrate ways. But you, if you're not integrating ways, you can't step up into the next level of strategic intentions. In fact, if you're not integrating your ways with God, strategic intentions will just bypass you. Because you can't see it if you're not integrated. So what is the whole purpose of what the world is trying to do to the church? It's trying to separate churches. It's trying to separate people. It's trying to isolate and keep families apart from each other. It's trying to break the church apart. If, if we didn't learn anything from COVID about what the enemy strategy is, if we didn't see that every family had to be isolated and every family had to, and you had to only be this and this and that for such a long time and the churches have been shut, if we didn't see that this was a supernatural war against the church. I know many millions of people died because of COVID, but essentially this is the play of the devil against the church. The movements of what Russia is doing against Ukraine is a movement of human, great human sadness, actually. The violence that is being issued. The way China actually captures Muslims, not that I'm in agreement with their faith, but they treat Christians and Muslims and other religions all the same. You're not allowed to have a religion in China. Your religion is the state. Did you know that? Your religion is the state. If we don't think that what's going on in the world around us is, is the enemy of God, principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, and all of those things, the spirit beings in the heavenly realm that have got a right to function on this earth, if we don't think that this is all about you and me, the church, shutting us down, then we have no idea. Then we're asleep. We might think, oh, it's this government against this government, and it's this politician against that politician. It's none. This is, I mean, it might have to do with them, but this is about a war against the church. Because he doesn't want people to, to, behave, to have what God's put in them. And so I go back to where I finished off or... or had a break at one of our meetings. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh and using mere human weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and the destruction of strongholds. I want to tell you about a story about about a man who, who was, was captured and enslaved in a system. And though he was captured and enslaved in a system, he completely always sold his life to God, completely gave his life completely to God. He was completely dedicated and committed to God. 
This guy was very smart. Very, very clever. He was, he was recognized by the world system as being one of the most gifted, most talented people around. So they enslaved him and then taught him the ways of their system so that his gifting and his culture uh, and his talent could be used for their best. But this man, he decided he was going to pray every morning, he was going to pray every lunchtime, and he was going to pray every night. And he wasn't going to pray to any of the gods that these people had captured him with. He was going to pray to the Jehovah God. Do you know who I'm talking about yet? Daniel. So you know what happened to Daniel? Is Daniel was a man who lived beyond kings. Because he was talented, he was smart, but it was also God's assignment for to have someone in the inner courts of all the kings to protect his people. So then it became clear to people one day, this man is in the way of me getting, getting us getting done what we want to get done. We have to get rid of this man. So they introduced a legal policy, a legal document, which they presented to the king that um, no one can pray to any other god except the god of, the, of, the, of Babylon. Well, they knew that Daniel was never going to pray to the God of Babylon. So they set him up to, be, to, to fail. They set him up to fail. So, of course, Daniel went about it in his normal way. He wasn't hiding his, his love for God. He opened his windows at the same time every day and he prayed to the Jehovah God. And so, obviously... People saw it, people heard it, and they captured him and they brought him before the king. And they said, this man, this man has, has broken the law. So, of course, the king now realizes that there, this was a political trap to get rid of Daniel. It was an intentionally, thoughtfully created political trap to get, to get the one man in government that was actually the wisdom of God in that whole nation. Get rid of the one man. Because he stood between them and their own agenda. Come on, I'm preaching good this morning. But the king knew Daniel as someone that he really wanted to have and know that he's around when he needed him. And so, he was bound by his own law. But his love for Daniel was obvious. And the penalty that came with and was associated with was that you get thrown to the lions to be eaten. And actually the king apologizes to Daniel for what he has to do. And he throws him into the lion's den. And these lions were lions that were on purpose kept lean and hungry in order to in order to devour people that went against the state. 
So Daniel's in there, and when Daniel's in there, angels are in the room. And all of these ferocious beasts had nothing to do to Daniel. I, I don't know how the angels, the Bible says the angels closed the mouths of the lions. I don't know if they were sitting on their back the whole night with their mouths closed, you know, or placed a guard around Daniel. And some of them shut their mouths. I don't know how that exactly happened spiritually. But the natural world had to bow to the spirit world. The natural world had to bow to a man who was totally in covenant with God. The natural world had to bow. So here's the thing about the king, you know. Before it's even daybreak, the king is standing at the, at the, at the lion's den. Daniel! Daniel! Are you still there? Why on earth would a man who knows what kind of beasts are in that thing, why would a man go and call out the name? Are you still there, Daniel? Yes, my king, I'm still here. Imagine what happened to that king in that moment when he heard Daniel's voice that he knew without a shadow of a doubt that the natural world and all the politicking and all of the evidence and all of the facts and all of the stuff that everybody had against him, that his God had preserved him. And so what happened? The fate that they wanted for Daniel, it became their fate. Them and their families were all thrown into the lion's den and they were all wiped out. I want to tell you something. We are the church of the Most High God. We are the people of God. We have the same protection in our life that Daniel had in his life if we just keep giving our lives to God. Not only do we have the same level of Holy Ghost protection and angelic protection, but we have much more spiritual power than Daniel had. And Daniel was in a covenant man, but we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. As human creatures, other creatures of the realm that God made have no power over us if we know what's in us. Daniel's friends were caught in the same crossfire. You've got to bow before this big statue that I created that I am God. And so when the king found these four guys that were higher provincial leaders and virtually running his government and they were well thought of and he didn't want to get rid of them, he gave them a chance. Oh, please, please, just withdraw or just bow one time to this thing. And I, and I won't kill you because I think you guys are fantastic. And they said, you don't understand, O king. There's only one God that we will bow to. And that's the Jehovah God. We will not bow to any other God. And that's the famous message by Oral Roberts and Jerry Savelle on the fourth man. Because the, the king said, well, I have to abide by my word. And so he throws these these three people into the furnace, a fiery furnace, and he throws them in and they don't burn. And he says, make it hotter. And he makes it seven times hotter. And even the people that are making it hotter start dying around them from, from the heat. And then he looks into the flames and he says, they must be dead by now. And then he sees a fourth man. 
And a man looks like the son of man. I mean, Jesus came and he stood there in the fire with them. In other words, human creatures and hot fire and everything that laws that and, and facts and things that came against them could not move. Someone who's in covenant relationship with God and will not bow or compromise their life to someone's will. Wasn't that just a contest of wills? I'm the king, you bow to me. No, sir, you may be king, but I bow to only one God. And so you and I have the same choice today. We can bow to money. Who is a God? People serve the God of money. They serve the God of achievement. They serve the God of material possessions. They serve the God of sexuality and all kinds of perverseness. There's many gods that people have enshrined in the world around us that the world system is bowing to. You and I are not going to bow to that. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood. Our warfare is against principalities and powers. And are mighty in God to the strength, the, the pulling down of strongholds. Because those forces, they come and they work on your mind and try and tell you how to, how to work in your life. And so verse 7 says, look at this obvious fact, which is before your eyes. Is this obvious now? Have I made this obvious to you? Look at this obvious fact which is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him reflect and remind himself that even as he is Christ's, so too are we. So, when you are, when you are Christ's, you have all of who Christ is available to you. That's why we are new creatures. We are not just new creatures for the sake of calling ourselves Christians. We are new creatures because we are the only people who can become spiritual as new creatures. You can be a new creature and remain carnal. And all your thinking can be about yourself, with yourself, for yourself, and about everything that God's got to do with yourself. Or you can become spiritually minded and when you become spiritually minded, you are the person who understands how God flows, how God works, how everything begins to operate. And then you begin to recognize things in the spirit realm. And you are the one that gets the will of God, what's in heaven, and you can bring it to earth. And I want to tell you, there's no government, there's no there's no human being, there's no business being, there's no, nobody with enough money, there's nobody with there's enough power that can stop you from operating in the will of God when you, are, when you know who God is in your life. But you got to know who you are in Christ. And the enemy will do everything he can to confuse your mind, to confuse your thinking, to confuse your behavior pattern, to confuse many things so that you say, am I really that? Can I really command that? Can I really say this? Can I really do that? Yeah. Hallelujah. 
Praise the Lord. I want to share a, I want to t- share a testimony with you, and I hope that, that you will be involved in this because of God's doing. When I started cycling a number of years ago, I don't know if you remember, we started, we had a, a t-shirt, we had a shirt and a, and a whole uh, cycling outfit and we had shirts, that, t-shirts that we made, my church, my cycle, my, right? So the Lord put it in my heart that actually, just in the same way that I was able to go from zero fitness to actually become somebody who lost 23 kilograms. And I'm so pleased to say to you that I'm losing the extra bit of weight I put on in America at a rapid rate of knots. Because I am really I'm exercising and I'm... Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Anyway, it was really on my heart that we would create an an infrastructure that would facilitate people being able to get conditioned and do it with friends and not feel like it's a chore. So let's be honest amongst ourselves here today. Some of us have more discipline in our lives than others, right? Some of it is because of your temperament. So, if, for example, if you're a sanguine where you like talking to people and now you, it's time to go and train, but you're having this marvelous, wonderful coffee conversation, your, your thing is, well, I'll put training on hold. I'm having this conversation. I mean, this is a real, wow. You know, I'm having so much fun. Training will come later. And then when you get to later, you're now worn out from so much lack of conversation. You say, I'll do it tomorrow. Don't shout me down because I'm shouting, I'm preaching good at you. And then you have choleric type of people that are, are, are completely different. They, com- they see things very differently. They, they're action-driven, they're um, goals-driven, they're results-driven, and they're, and they're driven people by and large. And generally speaking, they focus their emotional energy into tasks and into and into pursuing things and getting things done. And for them, the tick list is the highest priority. Got this done, got this done, got this done, got this done. Got it done, got it done, got it done. What's next? Give me the next stuff. Let me show you I can get that done too. And when you see the sanguine at work, you look at the sanguine and you say, this guy's out of control. He's got, he's got nothing going for him in his, in his life. You know, if you're a choleric. And the sanguine looks at the choleric and says, this guy's got no fun in life. He can't laugh, he can't do anything. Oh, it's about do the task, do the task, do the job, do the job, do the job. I like to have fun and be spontaneous. Now, if we only just and there's more in there because you've got the melancholic who's extremely creative. And, and uh, melancholic some, is someone that can have, when, when they're on an upward trend in their, in, their, um, in their personalities, they are the, the richest kind of personality to be around. Because they're creative, they're thoughtful, they're kind, they're, uh, all their energies are focused into helping and creating thing, opportunities to help people. When they're on a downward trend, 
they go into depression very quickly. Huh? I'm forgetting. Oh, phlegmatic, that's me. And the phlegmatic kind of person is very thoughtful, it's, you know, very analytical, very uh, um, wants to know what's the bottom line, what's the end result, and, and is often much more slower to move unless they know what the plan is. And so phlegmatics have to have a plan. Hey, Dr. Zelda. Right. I mean, we know this. Pastor Sharon and I have said that we are not going to speak about any of the weaknesses, about any of the temperaments, because in our walk with God, we do not accept those weaknesses because he's given us the ability to overcome those weaknesses. But that's a journey for every one of us. Okay? So while you're on that journey, um, some people are more disciplined. So I created this this sporting environment. Some of you who are in Joburg will remember we had some times where we met in Emerentia and some guys went cycling and some guys did Pilates and, and other people just walked. And, and then in Whitbank we did similar things, some cycling, some walking, some... Do you all remember that? It seems so long ago, but it's probably about eight or ten years ago. Ne? Well, I never let go of that vision that God gave me to help people. Because actually, we as ministers of the gospel, we, we know that if we, if we touch your spirit man, your spirit man will guide you into greater life. But sometimes you have to get rid of the soul stuff that's got baggage that holds you down. And sometimes you need help in the physical world to get you to where you need to be. So us, eventually we started a thing called Slipstream Athletic Club some years ago. I got quite a lot of pushback from the mature athletes that didn't want us to really open the club up to people who were uh, not self-disciplined. So they, you know, their argument to me was, we discipline ourselves three times a week, and it was mostly cyclists at that time. We discipline ourselves. We make the effort to ride. And now we've got to spend our weekends when it's our real hard riding training times, weekends, riding with people who've got no discipline in the week. I mean, I understand the argument. I understood it for a long time. And it's the thing that held me back from really pushing forward with what God had shown me to do. So we, we, we refocused, reestablished, and we did all of our appointments with Athletic South Africa, Triathlon South Africa, and CSH Cycling South Africa. We got all our licenses under Slipstream Athletic Club. And we called it Slipstream Athletic Club because any number of kind of uh, athlete CrossFit person, Pilates, anything else can fit into that category. Right? You're all with me? So it's kind of, for two or three years, it's drifting. There's not much going on. There's a number of people that are in the, in the running group, some in the, in the cycling group. And, and, and we actually, actually, to be honest, we never actually met the minimum requirements financially to keep the club alive. So we... 
put our own money in there to keep the club at that level. License fees you have to pay to ASA South Africa and all these things. Until COVID hit. And when COVID hit, we came up with an idea. And the idea was, let's stimulate people and help people to stay on the move. And we give them this digital platform where we can promote challenges, we can have record, we can record their activities, and they can just send it and we'll actually help them mo be motivated to just walk in their garden. Because for a while, that's all we could do. Right? Suddenly, all the people from all clubs that were devoted for years to other clubs, like Eskom Running Club, for example, other place, loads of people, I mean, started to register on the Slipstream website. And they had all the feedback they needed. All their data was captured. Everything was, all the stuff happened. Wow. Suddenly, we had hundreds of people that were on our, on our website. Walking, running, cycling. I'm wanting to show you that when you are a creature that has God at the center of what you're doing, a vision might not might materialize immediately, but one idea from God can become something very great in the hands of God. Amen. Just takes one. So we started to talk about a whole lot of things and... Um, and then we had some people to join us here from the Freistart. And they played tennis and they played squash and they did different things. And, and so they went, to, they went to, the, to the club. And I don't know, LaRue, what happened first. Did they rebuild the tennis courts and then you went to go and see them? Is that how the process happened? Because they wanted to play tennis and they resurfaced the tennis courts in the nature reserve. And so they wanted to play tennis. So they went, to the, they went to the municipality and they said, we want to play tennis. How do we make use of the tennis? And so they came to a financial arrangement and they came to an agreement that you can have so many people. And so then LaRue and, and Liesl's contact became Slipstream's contact. And Slipstream started having conversations with the municipality and said, actually, what we want to do is not just play tennis. What we want to do is cycle and run and we want to do it in the dam the nature reserve. And so we want to have like mini crits and we want to be able to use the 5K route in the, in the nature reserve across the road. And so he said, we have a problem. And, and we're not sure we can let you do that because we have a problem. There's, there's, people have to pay cash money to get in at the gate and that's been abused. How many of you know how many parties happened at the dam if you've been in Woodbank any time? And that's because taxis arrive and Sundays and more and more people and so it was abused. And then how many people came to that show? Oh, only a hundred people came, but men, there's a thousand and there's a lot of cash gone missing. So they realized they can't run this, this thing based on cash. So how can you help us with the system? So we came up with an idea of how we could get, have control access into the, uh, into the reserve based on fees that people will pay Slipstream, and Slipstream will pay the Nature Reserve based on how many people are using the thing. The municipality said, we've been waiting for someone like you to help us solve a problem. Let's do it. Let's give it a try. So we implemented the solution. Works like a charm. So as Slipstream 
Cycling, running, sports club. We've been using the dam, the nature reserve and the dam internally there where people camp. We've been using that whole facility for some months now to prepare ourselves for some events that we have got planned. Cycling events, triathlete events, all those kinds of things. We've, got, we've been using those facilities. Hey? Praise the Lord. So, suddenly Slipstream's name is on everybody's lips. And, and now we applied a year ago in faith. A year ago we applied to Athletic South Africa to host our own race. Now, I just want to tell you about the rules. You may host a race that's 4.9 kilometers and you may call it a family fun day. And they have no sock because it's not part of Athletic South Africa. Anything that's five kilometers on the dot or more, you have to get approval from Athletic South Africa to host the race. Which means you've got to have municipality agreement, you've got to have the resources of the police or the, or the whatever, the traffic, to be able to host a race in your town. Huh? We applied a year ago. The race is on Saturday. So when we hand you a pamphlet, we're looking for people to come and help and serve the race. Because what happened on Friday is that there was a meeting held, which is the first inter-club meeting for runners that has ever, 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 ever been held in Whitbank. Ever. And what happened in that inter-club meeting, MP was there and Matt was there to represent the club, what happened in that meeting is that we represented them and said, hey guys, we know that the division of clubs is a problem and you want ownership of your own people in your club. So we're going to separate slipstream, slipstream Digital Services from Slipstream Athletic Club. So this was the idea that we had talked about beforehand. So we're going to promote digitally, digital, uh, Slipstream Digital Athletic Services versus the club. So you don't have to belong to Slipstream Club to access the service, because that happened in COVID. Because over all of these years, in all of the 30, 40 years, no one could get access and be granted access to that facility by any club for 40 years. So everybody's asking, how did Slipstream get permission to go and run and ride and use the municipal facilities when we, Eskom and everybody, have been trying to get this for 40 years? Favor. So what happened was, when they heard our proposal, everybody said, hey, we don't have to each have individually have our own club run. We will, we will function under Slipstream Digital Athletic Services and we are going to all bring our clubs and we are all going to run and we, all the people that we know, we're going to promote this thing and we're going to participate in this thing on Saturday. It sounds like, it sounds like God's opening up a chariots of light kind of deal here because nobody knows the church is behind it 
and we are we are using our our influence that God has given us with wisdom because we're going to still be around here for a long time and we're going to do this for a long time. And so all those interclub guys that for the first time I ever met and started talking to each other, each chairman of each club started talking to each other, they saw the, the, the possibilities that we could be on the map as Mpumalanga in Whitbank and host a race that has high visibility that people want to come to because of the outstanding nature of the venue. An idea, favor of God, legislation couldn't stop it. Amen. Rules couldn't stop it. Yes. Government couldn't stop it. Yes. I want to tell you, if you're, in the way, if you're in the walk with God, you have favor of God in areas of life that yet you have not yet got to that place where you say, I need that. And then one day when you do, when you're in that place, it's there. Glory to, God. Glory to God. Glory to God. So I'm urging all of you, come and help, come and serve. Some of us will participate because it's necessary to be out there on the course with Slipstream kit on that people can see the Slipstream Club is actually functioning here too, that we're not just serving. Come on. Will you do it, guys? Will you help us? This is an amazing opportunity to get to the next level. Hallelujah. Glory to God. See, God has chosen the church to enlighten all men and make plain to them, Ephesians 3 verse 9, what is the plan regarding the Gentiles and providing for the salvation of all men of the mystery hidden through the ages and concealed until now in the mind of God who created all things by Christ Jesus. The purpose is that through the church, the complicated, many-sided wisdom of God in all its infinite variety and innumerable aspects might be no, now be made known to the angelic rulers of authorities, principalities, and powers in the heavenly sphere. So that was the whole point of having the church. He said that God can say, to, look at the church, that's Christ. Eternal. I'm hoping you're getting this. That for every Christian that becomes a born-again believer that enters into the church and becomes the church, God's purpose is satisfied. And then when we, we think that just coming to church and greeting people and praying, well, these things that must happen in church. No, no, God has chosen to make all of this stuff the, the reason to hold Christ and hold God's ways up and say, these are the eternal ways. These are the eternal purposes. Hallelujah. And so, if you'll bear with me for a few more minutes, I must read you the scripture and I want to finish with this. But my finish is going to be about 15 minutes. So that according to Pastor Andy, I'm not circling. I know where my landing strip is and it's about 15 minutes away. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. 
For I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, that our forefathers were all under and protected by the cloud in which God's presence went before them. So our forefathers were under the cloud. They could see the cloud and it went before them and it protected them. And every one of them passed safely through the Red Sea. And each one of them allowed himself also to be baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They were thus brought under the obligation of the law to Moses and to the covenant, consecrated and set apart to the service of God. What did Jesus free them from Egypt to do? Be consecrated and set apart to the service of God. And all of them ate the same spiritually, spiritual, the Amplified Bible says, supernaturally given food. So you understand that every day they ate food, they were eating food for their bodies, but this was, according to the New Testament, spiritual food because it was supernaturally given. Spiritual food. Who knows? What happened when they ate that food in terms of the human transaction that says my body is satisfied and I'm filled and I'm healthy and, I'm, and, I'm, and I didn't do anything to earn this. I didn't do anything to, do the, to make this happen. I woke up this morning and the food was on the ground. Spiritual food. And they all drank the same spiritual drink or the supernaturally given drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock which followed them, produced by the sole power of God Himself without natural instrumentality, and the rock was Christ. It's interesting that it says that they drank from the spiritual rock which followed them. Which means the rock being Jesus was following them and drink, giving them drink every day. And they were drinking a spiritual drink, not just natural water. Am I just reading the Bible or? Right. Okay. So I, there's no weird doctrine going on here. Just in case, you know, just checking on you. Nevertheless. Whenever there's a nevertheless, you must understand something's coming. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with the great majority of them, for they were overthrown and strewn down along the ground in the wilderness. Now these things are our examples, our warnings and our admonitions for us not to desire or crave or covet or lust after evil and carnal things as they did. So God was giving them spiritual food and drink every day and that was not enough for them. They lusted and craved after things that were something else which they were introduced to while they were in Egypt. So they kept longing back for what was in Egypt. I want to eat the food that I ate in Egypt rather than the spiritual food and drink that God Almighty is providing by Himself, for Himself, with Himself to me every day. That it's not just not natural food, it's spiritual food that feeds me. So they murmured against God. They had a lot of things to say. They, oh God, why did He bring us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? And yet He was feeding them every day. 
and they were drinking water every day. Ah, why did God bring those seers bars so that we could die? They did not trust their future into God's hands. They wanted to be in control of their own future out of God's hands. To the point where they said, it's better for us to go to Egypt, back to Egypt, than for us to die in the wilderness. That's the control they wanted back. I want to run my future. I don't care what God says. I don't care that God's giving me spiritual food every day, spiritual drink every day, and He's supernaturally protecting me from the elements every day, my environment. I want back because I want what I miss. Control. Desire. Lust. Cravings. Coveting. That word, lust or lusted, is to turn upon a thing to have a desire for or long for and to, to covet of those who seek things forbidden. In other words, God brought them out of Egypt not so that they could continue to eat what Egypt eats and serve who Egypt serves. That's now forbidden. Yet they craved and lusted after what was forbidden. What do you think is the mindset of an individual who's only thinking about what's forbidden, but while every day spiritually God is giving them food, but they are only thinking on what's forbidden? They die. The Bible says all their carcasses fell in the wilderness. They died. If we think that Egypt, which represents the world system and the world's way of doing things, if we think that Egypt has the answers for us, God has already told the church, it is forbidden for you to think like that. Because your future is not in what they say your future is. Your future is in what God says your future is. And He will feed you spiritual food every day. And He will feed you spiritual drink every day. And He will put a cloud above your heads when the heat gets strong. And He will put a fire in your life when the things get cold. And there will be nothing that you will ever need in your life if you just put the covenant God, Jesus Christ, at the center of your life. Now, He doesn't want you to live there, but that's where He wants you to start. That's only a starting point for Christians. That's not the end point. He started by feeding them. His point was, I want you in the promised land. Be my people. And the same trust that you now have in me, and see how you feed. When you get into the promised land, you use the same belief. And I will multiply your fruit and I will have your wells filled with water. And no enemy will be able to take you. I can tell you, many, many times there have been people that have wanted to take Pastor Sharon and I out of this ministry, trying to defeat us in this ministry, try to divide us in this ministry. And so, by the way, any time there's division, it can never be of God. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong. It can never be of God. But in each case, we were the wrong ones. Every time. Well, obviously, we must be the wrong ones because... That's why they wanted, that's why they split the church or took people out of the church and went away and said, you know, you can't do that. 
doesn't just happen to us. Let me tell you, it's a strategy by the devil that div division is the primary weapon that he uses. If he can divide a marriage, if he can divide a family, if he can divide a church, if he can, it's his primary function is to divide. And so what happened here was that he divided Israel's thinking to think about the past rather than to live in the moment with spiritual food. So all of the stuff that we liked in the past, we wanted back. We want, can it please be uncomplicated? Can it please be easy? We just want to live the way we lived. But they forgot how they were slaves. The, the word that's evil that comes out of a Greek word means to say that it's worthless, depraved, bad, harmful, noisome, wicked, of a bad nature, not so as, to ought, uh, so as it ought to be, of a mode of thinking, please hear this, of a mode of thinking, feeling, Acting base, wrong, wicked, troublesome, injurious, destructive, and baneful. In other words, if your thinking is doing that, then you're already in an evil state of mind. I have not yet preached anything to you that's my opinion. I've only been preaching the Word of God to you. So, verse 7 says, Do not be worshippers of false gods, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink the sacrifices offered to the golden calf at Horeb and rose to sport, to dance, and to give away, give away to jesting and hilarity. We must not gratify evil desire and indulge in immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 suddenly fell dead in a single day. Let me tell you something. If you come up against the will of God and you come up against what God's doing for the church and you come up against God's people in the church and you create things in the church which deceives people in the church, not, there's not good things that are going to happen to you. You can't turn around and say, bless me, God. You can't turn around and say, I take all of the grace, all of the blessing, and all, but in the meantime, I'm going to worship some other God, which is myself. Because the worship of any other God, money or anything else, is ultimately just the worship of yourself. That's why I've always preached this way. The greatest salvation that God saves us from of course, is you don't go to hell. But when you receive Jesus in your Lord, as Lord and Savior in your life, you're saved from yourself. Because for the first time in your life, you have power to overcome yourself. Up until that point, you are powerless to over overcome yourself. But there are many Christians who have become born again and they're going to heaven and they're not going to go to hell and they're still powerless to overcome themselves because they choose not to. Every day they wake up and they choose not to. We should not tempt 
the Lord or try his patience, become a trial to him, critically appraising him and exploit his goodness as some of them did and were killed by poisonous serpents. He says, if you want to exploit God's goodness because it suits your end, you put him to test, you put him to trial, you should not tempt the Lord your God that way because in this case, the serpents came and killed them. I want to tell you that there are serpents at work in the world system today. In particular, there is a serpent that is at work in the, in the world today. And it's the serpent that is called Python. It's referred to in the Bible. The direct translation is Python. Can you help me with what the Greek word is, Sharon? Or the, or the Hebrew word for that, Python? But the direct translation is Python. Because that spirit, that serpent spirit, is squeezing the financial lifeblood out of people. So it's at work in the earth. Its entire design, that spiritual force is to squeeze like a python snake does. It slowly, slowly constricts and pushes the muscles and begins to squeeze and squeeze until it crushes you, until you can't get away from it. The python spirit. And so the Bible says we should not tempt the Lord or put Him on trial or try His patience or try and exploit his goodness as some of them did and were killed by poisonous serpents. <coughs> hey, come on. I'm not, I'm not preaching at you. I'm exposing the enemy and I'm exposing how the enemy works in our intellect and in our emotions. And if we try God and exploit his goodness, but still just live the way we want to live, the serpent is going to come and squeeze the life out of you. Poisonous serpents meant for our harm. And so that's why the Bible says there are Christians that sit around the Lord's table and they have communion and they are sick and weakly and they weak and they die early. Because in some parts of their life they've tried tried God and they've not been willing to give up things and just, just want to do my own thing. nor discontentedly complain as some of them did and were put out of the way entirely by the destroyer, death. I just got telling you. Hey, Pastor John, that sounds like a heavy message. No, no, this is a liberating message. Because I told you, when you see Russia invading Ukraine and you see their medical buildings falling and you see their education buildings falling and you see all of their transportation things being taken out and all of their communications and all of their services that are there to serve the people and they start getting taken out by mortars and by tanks and by, by, by artillery and missiles and all that kind of thing, that whole global conflict that is happening in front of our eyes is what's happening in your world every day. 
Don't be mistaken. There's an enemy of God that's out there and he's wanting to send missiles your way to take out your financial infrastructure, to take out your health infrastructure, to take out your communications infrastructure, to take out your divine connections infrastructure, to take out your government system, which is the government of the Lord Jesus Christ, sent into your life to help you govern your life. And you say, no, thank you, Lord. I'll govern it myself. That same devil was busy in the, in the wilderness. And he had do, people doing the same things in the wilderness. And in the book of Acts, the church, the people in the wilderness are called, they called the church in the wilderness. And so I've already read to you today that they are an example to us of what can happen. Not that their covenant truth is now our covenant truth because we have a higher, greater covenant based on better promises, as it says in the book of Hebrews. So all the more we should not try God's patience and say we can't because actually the Bible says that if you start doing all of that, you are in danger of getting yourself to a point where you make the blood of Jesus of no effect. If you cannot actually get these words out of your mouth and you cannot actually say, I repent, Father, for my son. I repent for the things that I have not done when I should have been serving you all these years, when I should have been giving you my tithe and I didn't, when I should have been giving you all and I've been pursuing, if you're a young person, I've been pursuing men or girls or I've been pursuing parties I've been pursuing bigger houses I've been pursuing more things I've been pursuing achievement and status and promotions I've been pursuing all of these things all my life rather than pursuing you first let me tell you God is not something that you say here's 30 minutes and I give you this time to pray and then the rest of my day I'm busy God How do you do that when your whole spirit being is actually alive to God and all day, every day, the spirit being is talking to you? The Holy Spirit that's inside of you is talking to you and He's always leading you into the way that you should be going. Hallelujah. So let's not complain about what God has or hasn't done for us yet. Let's rather get our thinking into a place where we say, you feed us every day, we drink every day, you protect us every day, you cover us every day. Thank you for that, Lord. I'm going to pursue you with all of what I've got with, for all the goodness you've got for me. Now, these things befell them by way of a figure as an example and a warning to us. They were written to admonish and fit us for right action by good instruction. So that's what I'm doing over this whole period. I'm, I'm, I'm putting you in a place where and fit us for right action by good instruction. We need good instruction so we can live in the right action, spiritually speaking. We in whose days the ages have reached their climax, their consummation and concluding period. So now this is Apostle Paul who wrote to the Corinthians all those years ago. But what he saw was eternally the purposes of God over, over the millennia that God existed, that this 2,000 years or however time it's been since Jesus died was but a fraction in the moment of eternity and we've come to the climax of the ages. Which is why I don't preach that the earth is going to, like, you know, 
the climate guys, who have all been wrong, by the way, because some presidents have all said, you know, we're not going to be around here in another 12 years because the sea levels are rising, so these cities are all going to be underwater. Uh, and none of the things that they predicted have happened. God has given us good instruction so that we can live purposefully, without fear, in faith, together, walking a road that is bold and strong and full of the glory of God. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands, who feels sure that he has a steadfast mind and is standing firm, take heed lest he fall into sin. For no temptation, no trial regarding or as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads, has overtaken you and laid hold on you that is not common to every man. That is no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted and adapted and belonging to the human experience and such as a man can bear. But God is faithful to His Word and to His compassionate nature. And He can be trusted not to let you be tempted and tried and assayed beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But with the temptation, He will, also, He will always also provide the way out, the means of escape, to a landing place that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. So if you think that you can't get there, God's already empowered you to get there. Because there's no temptation, nothing that you have faced that other people haven't faced. And so if you say, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to be able to give up this habit. I don't know how I'm going to do that. You, got, you turn to God and He says, I've given you everything in power. And you're, there's no temptation that's too great for my power to overcome you with that help, with my help in that temptation. Hallelujah. Therefore, my dearly beloved, shun, keep away, clear away from and avoid by flight if needed any sort of idolatry or loving or venerating anything more than God. Anything. I'm speaking as to intelligent, sensible men or people. So in his view, he's talking to intelligent people. Think over and make up your minds for yourselves about what I say. I appeal to your reason and your discernment in these matters. I go to verse 17. For no matter how numerous we are, we are one body because we all partake of one bread, the one whom the communion bread represents. We are one body because we are one bread. Where do you get your food from? Where do you eat from? You eat from the bread of life, which is the Word, which is Jesus Christ. And how is Jesus Christ represented on the earth? Through the church. So if the enemy is separating you from the church, he's separating you from your spiritual food. This is what the devil's tried to do with all Christians. It's okay for me to sit and watch 
Christian TV. I'll get my food from Christian TV. No, he's just separated you from the church. Because the message and the church are two completely different things. And you cannot receive the anointing of the message without belonging to the church. Hallelujah. Consider those, physic, those physically uh, people of Israel are not those who, are, who eat the sacrifices, partners of the altar, united in their worship of the same God. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is intrinsically changed by the fact and amounts to anything or that, any, that an idol itself is a living thing? He says no. I want, to, I want to skip and finish all. I want to finish this with verse 23. All things are legitimate. They are permissible. And we are free to do anything we please. Pastor John, I just thought you got to say that we aren't. Can I read it again? All things are legitimate, permissible, and are free to do anything we please. But not all things are helpful, expedient, profitable, or wholesome. All things are legitimate, but not all things are constructive to character and edifying to spirit life. Let no one then seek his own good and advantage and profit, but rather each one of the other, let him seek the welfare of his neighbor. If you want to default into being a spiritual person, that you should be thinking about the welfare of your neighbor, not the welfare of yourself. Again, am I reading anything but the Bible? Well, because you can do anything and you are not going to go to hell if you do some, if you sin. All things are legitimate. Legally, if you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you do something wrong, you are still legitimately, legally a son of God and will go to heaven. But not all things are expedient and they're not wholesome and they're not profitable. And so how do you measure the expedient and the profitability? How do you see your neighbor? What are you thinking about your neighbor? As to meat offered to idols, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without raising any question or investigating on the grounds of conscientious scruples. For the whole earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. I wanted to finish with that scripture and it is the last scripture on my, on my, my iPad. I want to just show you that it's now blank. This is a message, I, I modified it slightly. Um, um, this morning I just underlined some things and I just sent it to the guys to make sure that they had it. It's the same scripture and the whole message. God gave me the whole message which I preached now over four sessions. And so I haven't changed scriptures, I haven't changed my direction, I haven't changed anything that God has given me from the first that I started to preach this message. This is always what God wanted me to get out in its fullness. So the, the fullness, the whole earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. The whole earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. The whole earth is the Lord's 
and anything that is in it. The whole earth is the Lord's and anything that is in it. So I want to ask you, if the whole earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it, and you are the Lord's, who does it belong to? It belongs to us. Seek ye first, 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 seek first the kingdom of God. And the way God does things, not the way you think is the best thing to get your own way. The way God does things. And then all these things will be added to you. Hallelujah. And so I have preached over time that God is not in the business of wanting His people to chase wealth. He just wants you to live for Him and wealth will catch up to you. And in any case, what is wealth? If you get sick and you're dying, I promise you, Steve Jobs would have still been alive if his wealth could have bought a medical solution. So what is wealth? What is wealth is whatever solution your faith and your walk with God can access at any given problem point in your life. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, I, I, I really wanted to understand why Brother Jerry was so insistent that I come back and I go back to America and I go and do. And so now I'm going to just tell you what I'm going to do with him. I'm going to go and ride a motorbike with Brother Jerry. And we're going to ride motorbikes for seven or eight days. And this is something that he's wanted to do for 30 years. And so when Brother Jerry and I first started talking about it, and he said, by the way, John, if you're thinking about, um, if you're thinking about getting a bike, don't worry about a bike. I've got a friend who has a bike that you can ride. I said, you do? You know, to my question was like, so then he's already thought about this and asked a friend to let his bike be available to me. You know I mean? That was where my brain thought instantly. And so then my question says, you do? I mean, obviously, Brother Jerry's got lots of friends who ride bikes, you know. But in my mind, it was, you've talked to someone who's going to give you the bike. And he says, yes, I'm going to give you my Harley classic uh, that you're going to ride. What? What? You want me to come and ride back with you, Brother Jerry? And you know, I've got my exchange people that I want to minister to. I've got digital Bible school I've got to finish. I've got a building program in Johannesburg that is, a, that is on its way, requires attention. Next phase is almost upon us. You know, I've got stuff to do. This is not my prime time where I would have gone on a bike ride to go and do something that is on your 30-year bucket list. I really want you to come ride with me, John. 
Well, sir, I'll have to get tickets. I don't know if I can get tickets. Well, absolutely, I didn't know if I could get tickets. But over the next four or five days, Brother Jerry kept telling me every day, John, have you got a ticket yet? Are you coming? Are you, what's happening? And then the conversation changed and because and, and, I kept saying, I haven't got a ticket yet. I have made inquiries. I did phone my travel agent. I did ask him to see if it was available. And it was all of that kind of stuff. And he said, now, John, I just want to tell you, it's no longer, and I want you to, he says, when you get your ticket. And then he started to tell me about the things that were going to happen. And then he reminded me, he says, note, I didn't say if, I said when. So if you, if you are in a different spiritual frame of mind, you might think he's imposing his agenda on my life. And the answer is he is. But do you know how I feel about it? Thank God I have somebody that loves me that much, that is my spiritual leader, that is desiring for me to come and be with him on a significant thing that he's wanted to do for 30 years, and he's calling me to come and ride with him. But still, you know, it's just a ride. And then the Lord dropped on a seed into my heart. And as I released it to you and Sharon, I decided what we were going to do. The Lord said to me, John, you don't know it, but I was working on Brother Jerry to invite you to come because I need you all to sow an honor seed because I'm ready to unlock stuff in your lives. I'm ready to bring about changes. I'm ready to take you guys to the next level. And there are some people who don't know about honor, who don't know about respect. They don't know how to treat spiritual leaders. They don't know how to treat each other in marriage. They don't know about the honor of relationships. And if they will sow an honor seed, I will unlock that spirit of honor. Hallelujah. And it will bring wealth. And it will bring strength. And I said, you mean to say that you've actually created a whole cycling thing for me to go so that we could take the seed with? He said, exactly, John. He said, I've got other things for you that you don't know about and you'll see as you get there how they unfold. Well, okay, Lord. But I do know this, that he's given us another opportunity. Because... How's the, how's the circumstantial events? We go there. He asks us to stay an extra 10 days because there's things that he wanted to do with us. So I'm thinking this is done at least for a year now. And so they, um, I promise you, Pastor Sharon can bear witness to this. He was so in, wanted me to ride this ride with him that he actually said, John, why do you have to go home? Don't worry about an air ticket. Whether you can get one or not, just stay here. It's exactly what he said. You stay, send Sharon home, she can run the church. You stay here. And so I said, Brother Jerry, you're actually preaching to my church on the weekend. I got camp meeting, which, you know, I got to go preach at. He said, okay, okay. I, I, I see. I mean, I'm, I'm not exaggerating his facial expressions or anything. That's exactly how he went about it. So what are the chances that we are there on an extended stay I come back and he comes and he preaches to his church, but he's already called me back to him three weeks later. Why? 
so part of the spiritual unfolding, the spiritual food that we drink, that we eat every day, spiritual food that we drink every day, the covering of the, of the spiritual covering that covers us, where I honor my spiritual leader and what he says, that is a strength to me at night when it's cold and it seems like we could die in this climate. It's all there for me. And so the, so the word of the Lord is all upon me to say, I really, and I mean this, and I want you to understand this. If you have 10 rand, 10 cents, 20 rand, 20 cents, uh, 2,000 rand, 200,000 rand, 4 million rand. It doesn't matter to me the amount of money that we are taking. It matters to me that we take. Because Brother Jerry doesn't even know that we are taking it. He doesn't know that I'm coming with an irrational honesty. He didn't know that the last time. And if all the good things happened in our ministry because of that irrational honesty, what do you think is going to happen now next? Hallelujah. Glory to God. So when the Lord said to me, be watchful, and I want you to preach this whole message about if you see the destruction that's happening in the ages around you, don't leave it out there. It's happening to you in your life. The devil's after your health. He's after your wealth. He's after your communication system, which is your family and your spiritual family. He's, he's after all of the governmental systems in your life. It's your family, your wife, your friends, your pastor, your leader, your brother who can hold you accountable. You know what I did when Brother Jerry asked me? I mean, I knew in my spirit that this is, i got to go. But I, I went to my wife, I went to Pastor Christy, I went to a couple of other people, and I said, I want you to pray and I want you to have a witness. Well, why do you want to do that? Because accountability and then the witness and then the agreement gives me a strength. If I'm just always doing it with my own advice and my own counsel and my own ideas, then I'm never sure that actually that I've got God's mind on the matter. Hey, Baptist and Steph? Yeah? And I'm never sure that I've got God's mind on the matter. Oftentimes I speak to Gideon, other people that God has put in my life. I speak to them and say, Give me counsel. I want to tell you what's going on here. I want to tell you what's happening spiritually. I want to tell you what's happening. Sometimes I'll have MP. Then MP will help me with different things in the ministry. I mean, when we did this whole interclub thing, Matt is the guy that does the digital platform. But I asked MP to go because he's the chairman of the Slipstream Club. So why do we do these kind of things? Because we're stronger together. And our accountability to each other makes us stronger, makes us more powerful. And when we get into agreement on those things, then the agreement has the power to overcome anything that is our own will. It says, I want to do this, but I have an agreement with my brothers that I've got to do that. Because when I have a witness and agreement, I've got to go. Now I've got to have a real good reason why I come back and I say, I'm not going. And you might think that this is a small thing, but having traveled all the travel that we've traveled and all of the time it takes to fly from here to America to Dallas-Fort Worth, it's a lot of flying. It's hard on the body. Come on. So I'm not confessing that anymore. 
But in the natural, it is the way it is. So, I was struggling with that one leg to get from DFW to the place where they're going to start the ride. So Bill and John Joe Horn are going to be there. I don't know who else. Uh, or at this moment in time, I only know there's four or five. There might be another five, another 10, another 20. I don't know. But that's what I do know. And so I said, I phoned Bill and I said, Bill, I'm going to only get there at half past eight on the night of the, before the next morning. And it's going to be real challenging for me. Can you fetch me at the airport to do everything, all that kind of stuff? He said, let me, look at, let me look at what we can do from our end. The next minute I get a, a SMS by Brother Jerry from Joe and his, his uh, traveling lady that makes all the plans. You're flying, they're picking you up at DFW Airport and you're riding you straight to his private plane. And we're going with Brother Jerry to the airport and he's waiting for you until you arrive. So that you don't have to wait for those hours sitting in the airport and have to get to there so late in the evening. It's going to take you straight to his jet where he's going to be waiting for you. And you're flying with him to the start of where we're going to ride. Let me tell you, when you start to get in this thing with God then the honor and the favor of God just is just there. You can't buy it. You can't make it up. You can't, it just is there. And so what all is waiting for me, whatever it is, it's wonderful. And I really, this is always my heart. It's always my heart. You guys know me by now. Whatever good God is doing in my life, I want you to experience the same thing. You know? And uh, so... You know, I'm going to do everything to, I'm going to do everything that I can to be part and make you part of this as a digital experience. But the thing of it that God gave me is his carry an honor seed. Carry an honor seed so that everything can be yours. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Pastor Sharon and I were sitting in a conference one day and we were sitting right near the front in the conference. And as we were sitting in the conference, Pastor Sharon had, we had bought Pastor Sharon the most expensive pair of shoes she had ever owned. And any girl will know that if you have a beautiful, expensive pair of shoes, they become like your treasure, you know. And uh, we were at that stage of our life where we were believing God for more, you know. And uh, we're sitting in there and we were sitting right next to or right near a very wealthy couple. And uh, they had probably, she probably had a cupboard of the shoes that Pastor Sharon only had one pair of, you know. And so Pastor Sharon is sitting there and, and we knew them well. And so Sharon knew the size of the of her foot because they talked about shoes. What do girls often talk about? Bags and shoes. I grant you not all women are built the same, but many women are like this. But um, 
<laughs> but as we're in the service, the Lord told her to give her shoes away to this lady. So she, so she leans over to me. She says, John, the Lord's just telling me I must give my shoes away to this lady. So I said, how are you going to get home? She said, I'm going to walk out of here without shoes. I said, can't you just, you know, please, just wait. You know, you can phone her tomorrow and give it to her tomorrow. No, the Lord said, I must give it to her right now. The minute the service is over, I've got to give it to her right now. I said, it's, we, it's going to look awkward. You know, we're invited to the speaker's room and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I've got to give it to her right now. And so she took her shoes off and she went and she gave it to her, tried them on, perfect. For this lady, it's like, I buy one of these pair of shoes every week. For Sharon, it's her alabaster box. Her seed was not dependent on, the, on, on how many pairs of shoes the other woman could buy. Her seed was dependent on her obedience to God. Well, I can tell you till this day, Sharon does not have to bother about having any shoes in her life. Her desire, God answers. And when she comes, I don't know if she's going to come up again, maybe I can... Can I put you on display? Come sit here on the top chair. Just sit on the top step here. Please, babe. You're going to have to pull up those pants a little bit. Sit on the top step. Just sit on the top step. Just pull up those pants. Now, you know, to some of you, you're looking at this and saying, so what's that? These are... These are a very, very specific pair of cowboy boots that she really liked in America. And if actually she could come back as another kind of person, she'd come back as a cowgirl. You know, with cow dancing and, cow and western music and the boots and the whole jeans and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm just trying to share with you that God is not subject to circumstances. He wants to know where your heart is and what you'll do with what you've got because He wants you to trust Him because He always wants to protect you and He always wants to let you and provide and give you the best always. Come on, stand with me, everybody. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to the name of the Lord. Well, Father, I have spoken over all these weeks I've spoken. And I know that part of what you've done is you've, you've caused me to be, uh, raise the watchfulness and the alertness of the people of God in this assembly. And Father, you have also put it in my heart to encourage and exhort your people to live spiritually and live on spiritual water and live on spiritual food. And for them to understand and recognize that covering that you provide and that absolute pillar of strength in dark hours that you can be and are for everybody. 
And so, Father, all of these weeks I have preached this message. All of these days and weeks that I've preached this message, I trust that your people will hear them and they will re-hear them and they will re-listen and they will go through these messages and you will reveal to them and show to them all that you want them to see out of these messages. Because truly we are a born-again children of God, set apart by Him to live a different kind of way than everybody else in the world lives and to live for Him and with Him and in His plan and purpose. And so I ask you, Father, to reveal that in mighty power in the inner man. Reveal it to them by your Spirit. In Jesus' name. And so I thank you, Lord, that your healing power is busy at work in every single body. As we prayed last week and we laid hands, that your healing power is at work in every person. Every person's mind, every person's body, every person's neurosystem, every person's bone structure. All of the things that we prayed for in the name of Jesus, that healing power is still flowing. It is still working. It is still doing its job. The things that came upon you are going to leave you. All of the plagues that came upon them, they left them in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Father, that you are doing a supernatural healing, restoring power in the hearts and the lives and the bodies of your people. Hallelujah. That you're restoring them, Father. Restore them, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so you know, Father, and I'm speaking to the Father now, as a way I would, and I'm saying, you know, Father, that when I'm awake in the midnight hours and the early hours of the morning and my spirit man and, my, and yours are connected and, and we are fellowshipping together, you know, Father, that when you instruct me to do things, that I have largely been obedient to you. And I pray that in my obedience that I've done what I need to do, and in my obedience in going back with Brother Jerry, taking an honor seed, that your blessing and your life force will flood our people and, their, and everything in their lives. And their floods will just flow of good things. All the good things that you provided for us. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you know that in the midnight hours I've asked you that all of the young people in this ministry and all of the young people that come in contact with this ministry, that you are busy saving their lives and that you're giving us as a ministry the execution details, the understanding, the way that we need to go about it so that each person individually is touched uniquely and individually by you for the restoration of their soul and their life. And all of the young people that are hopeless and are lost and are dying out there in ways that they don't even know they're dying. Father, I'm asking you to, and I'm saying as I have, that you call them. You bring them to a place of hope. You bring them to a place of strength. You bring them to a place where God can answer them. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Let's pray together. I am a son of God. Jesus is my Savior. I thank you, Lord, that you save me from myself and all that is my own self-will. I give my heart to you. I give my life to you.
And I thank you, Lord. I will enjoy great moments of encounters with you. Personal, private, and powerful. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Ek is nog hier so volgende sondag. Maar nou ja, ek sien jylle volgende sondag.